0: Good morning. This morning we're going to be reading from Romans eight, twenty-eight through 39, and you can look along in the pew Bible. It begins on page 800 801. And we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously, graciously give up all things who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Now, the fellow who did the uh, offertory prayer, Jim isobe, where are you, Jim? Is it this Tuesday? Fifty years of marriage, is that right? Fifty years of marriage is Cheryl. <clears throat> Cheryl, is your middle name Job? Uh, is, uh... <clears throat> thrilled for you all, thrilled because, uh, Jim, you've had an eventful year, obviously, but uh, you're looking great, and uh, you too are looking great. and I Bring that up in part because Cheryl did this beautiful spread over here uh, It's this morning in honor of my father. Uh, his birthday would be today, actually, and my father and mother loved to pick yellow roses together. She made sure uh, those were in there, and I say that to say I get to tell a story on my father today, so this is appropriate, and i um, kind of glad he's not here to witness this, uh, but the Olympics has turned out great, the Rio Olympics. Uh, I was worried about it because of the you know it didn't, things didn't seem to be prepared very well, but it's gone great. How many of you all have watched Michael Phelps winning all these medals? Just amazing. Is her name Katie Ledecky, uh, the, the woman swimmer who's been amazing. Uh, the women gymnasts the u s has been great, and so many other great events. Uh, it's just been fun. To watch. Now a lot of times, as you know, do you know you're you're usually watching the competitions after they have already occurred, right? I mean you can cheat and go on Google or wherever and find out who's already won. And so we try to stay away from that a lot of times because a lot of times, you know, you won't find out until hours later if you haven't looked at those things. It's easy to find out though who won a competition long before you see it. Uh, even years ago, I mean now we've got the internet, but even years ago we had the newspaper. You could even look at the newspaper and know who was going to win the event uh, that day, which takes me to the summer of 1988. You had the Olympics in Seoul, Korea, and uh, there was this new event that had been introduced in 1984, four years earlier, which I didn't get to see. It was the summer I was doing centrifuge out west and. Deanna was on that team, it's where we met, and we were traveling all through the West, so I didn't get to see the advent of synchronized swimming, uh, duet synchronized swimming, and so that uh, was already in and going in the 88 Olympics, and I remember going over uh, to my parents' house on a Saturday morning, and it was, you know, in the morning a lot of times it's the events that are like, yeah, okay, you know. And uh, I walk in, and you, I guess you had to know my father, because he's just kind of a curmudgeon and theologian and can be kind of absent-minded, but he'll tell you what he thinks. And I walk in and say, hey, what event's going on? And he looked at me and said, synchronized swimming. He just was not thrilled about that. And I saw a newspaper close by, and Dad always had newspaper close by. And I thought, where's the sports section? I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to show him that people are really in to synchronized swimming. So I got the sports section and had the results of these finals of synchronized swimming that he was watching right then and there. Uh, So I suddenly became an expert on synchronized swimming because I was so passionately into it. And uh, now just to let you know, to give you some background, uh, the gold medalists that year were Canadians, uh, Michelle Cameron and Carolyn Waldo. There they are, Okay. And then the silver medalists were the Josephson twins, uh, Karen and Sarah. Now, that's them with the gold. They got the silver in uh, 88. They got the gold in 92. And then the bronze winners were Mikako Kotani and Miyako Tanaka right there. Okay. Now, so I've got that right in front of me, but fortunately Dad is sitting a little in front of me. I'm over here at the counter uh on a stool they're kind of watching back behind him you know i've got the the newspaper down here on my thigh and i'm thinking this this could be fun so he said you know he goes along and said oh well let's see what he said oh well they're the americans here they're going i said oh the josephson twins <laughs> i said yeah the jo- josephson twins uh, uh karen and sarah yeah uh, uh they're favored to win aren't they he said yeah I said, yeah, they're favored to win, but I don't know, you know. I said, now, now have Makako Katani and Miyako Tanaka already gone? And he was like, yeah, you know. Yeah, I said, the Japanese team, yeah. I said, they were good. You know, I, I see them not quite, I see them as bronze. I said, you know, the Josephs of Twins, I know they're favored, but I really like the Canadians. He was the Canadians, he said, they haven't gone yet. And I said, well, I just feel good about the Canadians. He said, you know the Canadian pair? I said, yeah, yeah, uh, Cameron and and Waldo, yes, they're great. And he said, what makes you think they're so great? He started to wonder a little bit. I started to panic a little bit, and I'm like, what makes you think they're so good? And, you know, so I thought, i got to come up with a term. And I don't know why, spatial density. I said, well, they've been better with spatial density lately. Spatial density, okay. I said, yeah, it's a thing. You know, with synchronized swimming, haven't you, do you follow this dad, you know? It's spatial density, and I just think they're a lot stronger. And he was like, uh, okay, well, sure enough, I was one, two, three, had it right. And he was amazed. He was like, maybe I need to watch more of this synchronized swimming. Yeah, Dad, you should. That's great. You need to, We're all into that. It was that density effect that made the difference. Well, Dad was real impressed, at least for a little time. But, you know, it can be fun to watch a competition, and, and sometimes I already know how it ends, especially it, when it ends the way you're hoping it's going to end. If your team wins or if there's resolution to a story and it ends the way you're hoping it was going to. found it interesting a few years ago, the University of California did an actual study that suggested that spoilers don't necessarily spoil things for people who are reading a story, watching a movie, whatever it might be. They did an experiment with 12 short stories, and what was interesting, time and again, people consistently enjoyed a story more when the ending had been spoiled, at least to some degree, they knew to some degree how it was going to work out. They knew the ending enough to know that reading it, you know, they didn't have quite the sense of suspense and and maybe fear and uncertainty. And what they said is the theory is that once one knows how the story turns out, one might be more comfortable with processing the information, and one can focus on a deeper understanding of the story, and you can savor it more. And I don't think it's that way every time, but it is kind of nice sometimes if we know the results already. And it makes it nice because we can trust the author or the director a little bit more to get us to a good place of resolution, you know. Because in the end, we really want something like reconciliation to win the day, love to win the day, justice to win the day, redemption to win the day. And that's really what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 8. He's saying we can trust the author of whose story? Yours. You can trust the author of your story who is God himself. And instead of fearing, you can have faith. And that's especially important for you and I to hear, especially when you and I might be going through a difficult chapter in our own story. You might be going through that right now, actually. And you feel like, you know, what I'm going through right now seems to contradict what you're telling me right now. It would be nice to know it's going to wind up that way, but what I'm going through now, that's just hard to see. It's even hard to see in our world right now, Uh, in our country for that matter, with a lot of division, a lot of strife, a lot of terrorism, a lot of things going wrong, you know, it, it it can arouse fear within us, but what Paul is telling us is to have faith. You might be going through a difficult chapter yourself. The church at Rome definitely was, to whom Paul was writing this letter. They were going through intense persecution, but they loved God, and they were called according to his purpose. And because they loved God and were called according to his purpose, they knew that in all things God was going to work for good. Now let me just say right there, was Paul an escapist kind of theologian, an escapist kind of Christian? Absolutely not. My gosh, look, 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 look at uh, 2 Corinthians 11 where he goes through that litany of all these things he goes through, whether it's beatings and stonies and stonings and lashings and shipwrecks and being bit by a snake, all kinds of bad things. Going through hardship and, and intense cold some nights, intense heat some nights. I mean, he goes through all kinds of things. In fact, if you go back to Second Corinthians chapter one, he tells very honestly to the Corinthian church, "You know what? There were points when we despaired of life itself." This is the Apostle Paul saying that. Paul was a realist to the bone. He knew that bad things happened, it happened to him a lot. But then you read verse 28 in this wonderful passage in Romans 8:28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now the verb therefore we know in the Greek, very important, it's used 13 times in Romans. And it never means we know hopefully in all things God works for good. It never means we hope optimistically things will come along. You know, it doesn't say, wouldn't it be nice if? No, it says, we know with absolute certainty. That's what that verb there means. We know that in all things God works for good. Now, it's interesting, he uses the same word just a few verses earlier. Go to verse 22, because this is where you see Paul the realist he says we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time what is he saying there we know with absolute certainty that life is hard we know with absolute certainty that we groan with the pains of childbirth in other words we groan with the pains and sufferings and trials and tribulations that you and I have to go through he knows that he is a realist to the bone but at the same time he says yes life is hard but you go back to verse 28 and he says but we know That in all things, God works for good for those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. Now, how do you put those two things together? Yes, life is so hard, and yet in all things, they work for good. How do you put those two things together? Now, two or three years ago, we talked about this. I think it was when I was doing a sermon based on people saying there's a reason for everything. But let me say there is a difference between reason and purpose, Reason and purpose. Let's put those words up there. And there, there's a difference, you know. Sometimes when bad things happen, people want to say, "Well, there's a reason for this." You know, when something terrible happens to someone or a friend, everything you want to say, "There's a reason for this." Really, something that happens that this is that is this bad, this intense, is there really? a reason for it, and and we mean well, you know, we want to make sense out of it, we want to give a logical explanation for it, and it helps us to get up and and move on with things, but is it really true that there is a reason for everything? You know, reason implies a cause and effect kind of thing, and again, we're trying to make logical sense out of it, we're trying to justify this event as good, but oftentimes things happen to you and me that are not good. That's what Paul says, I'm absolutely certain that there are things that happen in this life that are not good, that don't seem to have a reason, but again, we've got to tease out the difference between these two things, because we can't fully answer for reason, but we do know there is a purpose and that's what's so important as the theologian said there's an eternal purpose of god to restore this universe to its intended splendor and to enable us to become the whole eternal beings we were created to be so there is a purpose for all things but not a reason for all things and let's just break this down a little bit more reason looks to what the isolated event purpose looks at the big picture reason go to the next one is fixed on the present. I think sometimes, actually, when we're trying to find a reason for something, we don't just get fixed on the present, we get fixated on the present. It's hard for us to move from the why to the how. How do we move on? But purpose moves to hope. It moves to hope. Reason looks for an explanation. And sometimes, folks, there's not an explanation. There's not a reason for this. But purpose Gives us motivation. It's really saying, let's get on and, and and get on with life. You know, let's let's get to the how and move away from the why at some point. Reason hangs on to what? The event itself. And sometimes we live in that event too much that is now in the past. Whereas purpose hangs on to God. And there is a difference. And Romans 8:28 is about purpose, not reasons. It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. No, it says In all things that happen to us, good and bad, God works for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, those who love him. God's going to work in all these events, good and bad, toward the good, toward his eternal purpose, but he's going to do it in his way, in his time. And thank God we can look back at things and realize there is purpose to all this, and he will do this for those whom he calls his own. And the ending, folks, we already know, and it's quite good, and it's not being escapist. It's recognizing there's difficulty in this life, and yet in the end, it is literally glorious. Let's go to verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Beautiful words there, those whom he predestined, and we can argue about what that means. Bottom line, those whom he invited to follow him, if we accept, he calls us. And if he calls us, he's going to justify us, set us right with him. While we've been in a state of sin, he will justify us with him. And because we become justified, we become glorified, which is an amazing term. An amazing term. Just last week, we talked about uh, loving one another in the church. And you remember we talked about John chapter 17 where Jesus is petitioning his heavenly father that we would all be one, that we would love each other. Let's go to the next verse there. This is John uh, chapter 17 verses 22 and 24. Look at what Jesus pleads with petitions to his heavenly father on our behalf. I have given them, that's you and me, the what? The glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. He has already given us. The glory, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the what? The glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. When we became followers of Christ, we were given this amazing glory that begins now, but ends later in a marvelous, marvelous way, but it's already been given. Uh, Let's go back to verse 30 for just a second. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he also glorified. The verb there for glorified in the Greek is interesting because it appears in the past tense. It's in the past tense. As if it's already happened. Now, first of all, in part, it has already happened. When we give our lives to Christ, what enters us? Who enters us, I should say? Who would say the Holy Holy Spirit? And so we already have a sense of the glory of God within us, but then we expand on that experience and expansion of that in a way that we cannot even begin to comprehend when we reach Jesus face to face. And so it's also in the past tense because this is something that has already occurred. Christ is already on his throne. He has won the war. Yes, we do have battles to face. But in a sense, we've already received his glory and will receive it in fullness all the more later on. And that's wonderful to know, especially when you're going through a difficult chapter in life, whatever it might be, whether it's at work or in a relationship, whether it has to do with money, whether it has to do with depression, whether it has to do with whatever it might be, uncertainty about something in your life. There's a chapter in the end called glorified, and that chapter never ends. It's done. And it's the best of endings for all of us. Two weeks ago, speaking of flowers, as you know, we had two rosebuds over here uh, in honor of uh, John Harold Langford III and Caroline Baker Langford. We had a red rose in John's honor, who was born and he was born healthy. And then we had a white rose remembering remembering Caroline, who didn't make it through the pregnancy. And uh, John and Catherine are wonderful people. Many of you know know Mike and Becky Tracy as well. And uh, it was a difficult time for them, obviously difficult for those of us here who know them and love them, and there was a beautiful graveside service, and our own Conrad Howell, I saw you, Conrad, where are you? In the choir, that's, that's where we need him, good, okay. Conrad did a beautiful graveside service, I was just so blessed by what he had to say, and what he said really speaks to what I'm talking about now, about this future glory, and I'm just going to share part of what he shared at the graveside there. Jesus promised that he was preparing a place for those who love him, and he said, Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven is made up of little ones like these. And he went on to say, Today we grieve over the loss of Caroline, whose eyes we never saw, whose ears only knew the sound from inside the womb, whose lips could not speak, whose smile you could not see. But imagine this. When Caroline opened her eyes for the first time, they saw the glory of God. When her ears heard outside of the womb for the first time, they heard angels rejoicing. When those lips opened for the first time, she had her voice in heaven. And the first person ever to see that little face smile was Jesus. And he said, I picture his face breaking into a smile, his eyes brightening, and I imagine him saying, I know that face. I know that face. That's Caroline. That's Caroline's face. And Caroline has reached that enviable final chapter, the best of endings. She's fully glorified because she is with the fully glorified Lord of all things. And that's our final chapter too. That's where you and I are headed. We know the ending, and therefore we know that whatever we are going through, God is working it toward his purposes. Sometimes it doesn't feel like there's a reason for it, and friends, there might not be one that we can ascertain, but there is a purpose to it. And that's enough for you and me to have faith and not fear, for I am certain that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? Does anybody know? Separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ. That, my friends, is the best of news. That's the best of chapters that you and I get to end on. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, there's no doubt folks in this room right now for whom maybe they needed to hear this, but it's still difficult to hear because of what they're facing right now. A difficult decision, a difficult situation in a relationship, a difficult sense of confusion about a matter. Whatever it might be, O oh God, be with them and touch their hearts in a special way today. And may they trust without fear that you are with them. And that as this chapter ends, even at this point, they can look back and in some ways that are sometimes even inexplicable, they can see your purposes working in and through those things that at the present moment didn't seem to have a reason and in some ways might not have had one. And yet, we know that you are working your purposes for those who are called by you, who are loved by you. Help us to trust that. Thank you for being the author of our very lives. (laughs) Thank you for letting us simply be a part of your story. We're so blessed just to be a part of it with the good and the bad and the ugly and the beautiful. Be with us now as we press on and help us to trust your purposes in our lives. We pray these things in your name. Amen.